0: MYSTERY OF THE STONE TIGER CHAPTER 17 SMOKE CHARM MAGIC Stop! Jean cried frantically. She dashed toward the black-robed figure, mutilating the stone tiger. Louise, Ken, and Chris ran after her. The mysterious person, alerted by Jean's outcry, fled in the opposite direction among some trees. As soon as he was out of the zone of light, it was almost impossible to see him. His pursuers caught fleeting glimpses of the shrouded form as he dashed alongside the museum. Louise sighted the short man as he paused to fling off the long black robe. It's hampering his speed, she guessed. Unburdened, the figure ran as fast as he dared and in a few moments vanished completely. The danas and their friends gave up the chase and returned to the spot where the black robe lay. Ken picked it up, and then the four young people went back to the front of the museum to look at it. The garment was of cheap black cloth and zipped up the front to the neck. There was a large hood attached with a visor to cover the wearer's face. This outfit looks homemade, Louise remarked. Which could be a lead, Chris said, with a chuckle. Exhibit number X for the police. I'll bet. "'How many clues have you discovered?' the Danas laughed. "'We've lost count,' Jean answered. "'Too bad he didn't leave the tool. "'The sisters were busy examining the claw of the tiger to see the damage. "'I wish we had a flashlight.' "'Just then, a patrol car arrived. "'Officer Brownwell and Gibbs emerged and hurried up the walk. "'They recognized the Dana girls and seemed surprised to see them at the museum.' Louise introduced Ken and Chris and then told what the four had just witnessed. She held out the black robe and hood. The officer looked concerned. We were here 15 minutes ago, Officer Brownwell remarked. That mischief maker is clever. He has our prowling schedule all figured out, and even though we've changed it several times. The policemen focused their flashlights on the tiger, revealing the deep gouges in the left front paw. It's a shame to think of anyone hacking at this beautiful piece," Jean remarked indignantly. The officers said they would request headquarters to station a guard on the estate grounds during the rest of the night. But I don't think the ghost will dare return, Officer Gibbs added. The young people gave a description of the fugitive's height and build. The officers revealed that it tallied with those given by some citizens who had been frightened by the black robe ghost. The girls and their escorts said good-night and drove home. The following morning they all went to church. After dinner the sisters asked the boys if they would like to go to the Hillary Museum and look around. "'Sure would,' replied Ken. "'Let's start.' Mr. Pryor was delighted to see them, though upset about the previous night's episode. He gave Ken and Chris a personal tour of the museum. "'You boys interested in a challenge?' asked Jean. They looked at her curiously. "'Suppose you try to find the hidden closet with the peephole. We'll give you one clue. You'll locate it from the landing of a main staircase.' Louise and Jean and Mr. Pryor watched in amusement as the boys tried moving the wall panels. It was several minutes before they found the right combination. When they did, Ken and Chris grinned in satisfaction as they revealed the hidden closet beyond. The boys soon detected the movable panel in the far wall and looked through the peephole into the large display room. This is ingenious, Ken said. Chris looked at the closet floor. Suddenly, he stooped and exclaimed, "'Hold everything. I've found a clue.' He held up a man's soft slipper, of the type worn of many people in India. "'That certainly is a clue,' Mr. Pryor said, taking the slipper. "'But how and when did it get in here?' "'The girls and I didn't see any slipper when we opened it before.' "'Which means,' Louise said worriedly, "'that the mysterious intruder is getting into this place, "'even when the windows and doors are locked.' It's odd that we would leave one. It's odd that he would leave one of his slippers, though. She asked Mister Pryor for a flashlight. When he brought it to her, the young sleuth swept the closet with the bright beam. A look of excitement came into Louise's eyes as she peered at the ceiling. "There's a crack!" she exclaimed, reaching up. The next second, she pushed aside a wide panel. The others stared in astonishment. Mr. Pryor, what's up above here? Louise asked. I don't know, he confessed. This whole closet is a revelation to me. Ken offered to pull himself up and investigate the area above. You may come face to face with the person we're trying to find, said Jean. Do be careful. Ken looked and took the light and managed to squeeze through the opening. In a moment he called down. There's a narrow flight of steps leading up to the small attic. Is there any exit from it to the roof? Louise asked eagerly. There was a short silence as Ken ascended the steps. He called down, Yes, there is. A trap door leads to the roof. Mr. Pryor's mouth dropped open in astonishment. So this is how the intruder has been sneaking in here, he said. Well, he won't be able to from now on. I'll get a hammer and nails and fasten that trap door tight as a drum. He hurried downstairs as the girls and Chris climbed the hidden stairway to the attic to look at the trap door. If this is the way the intruder enters, said Louise, he'd still have to get up on the roof. Let's see what we can find out. The trap door was pushed open and the young people hoisted themselves onto the roof. It was flat in this section so they could walk around easily i think i have found the answer jean cried out a moment later she pointed to a stout trellis that ran down the side of the building to the ground in a niche of the mansion and covered with vines and shaded by trees it was quite inconspicuous this must be the mystery man's ladder said ken the danas and their friends climbed down and met Mr. Pryor returning with his tools. He was astounded to hear of the latest discovery. "'Will you boys help me tear down that trellis?' he asked. Ken and Chris were glad to be of assistance, and seemed excited at continuing the detective work. First the trapdoor in the ceiling was securely fastened. Next the movable panel in the closet was nailed shut. Finally the trellis was torn down.' Now maybe your troubles will be over, said Chris to Mr. Pryor. I wish I could believe it, the curator replied. I cabled the Maharaja for an information he could give us, but he is away on another trip. Mr. Pryor sighed. None of our precautions in the museum will keep anyone from hacking at the stone tiger. The Danes agreed with him. "'Unless, of course,' thought the girls, "'a special watchman were put on constant guard near the statue. "'They did not mention this to Mr. Pryor, "'knowing that it would be a financial burden for the Hillarys. "'We'll just have to leave that worry for the police,' they decided. "'Ken glanced at his wristwatch and remarked that he and Christmas leave. "'They drove the Danas home, picked up their overnight bags, "'and thanked Aunt Harriet.' and the girls for their enjoyable visit. The young people waved goodbye, and the boys drove off. Louise and Jean told their aunt about the trap door. Miss Dana was pleased. I'm glad you all were able to batten down the hatches, she said, in imitation of Uncle Ned. By the way, the Hillarys would like us to come over as soon as possible. Also, I offered to have Cora help out at the cottage. Jean grinned. Well, what's keeping us? The three Danas packed their bags and made sure every window and door was locked. They turned down the furnace thermometer and switched on upstairs and downstairs nightlights. After a final check, Aunt Harriet and the girls drove off. Elise welcomed the visitors warmly and showed them to the comfortable room they would share. Then everyone gathered in Mrs. Hillary's quaintly decorated room. The woman had brightened visibly upon seeing the Danas. In fact, she felt so much better, she insisted upon going downstairs. "'We'll all have supper together,' she declared cheerily. Her daughter smiled. "'This is wonderful, Mother!' Elise built a fire in the living-room grate, and after supper they all sat around the fireplace talking. By the end of the evening there was color in her face and a sparkle in her eye which Elise later confided to Louise and Jean she had not seen since her father's death. I'm so grateful to you, but please don't feel you have to stay in the house all the time. Come and go just as you please, and by all means, don't abandon the mystery. Louise and Jean reminded her in a low tone that they had less than a week to solve the mystery, otherwise the story might break in all the newspapers. Elise became grave, realizing that, if written up distastefully, this might damage the image of the lovely old Oak Falls and the Hilleries and their museum. Suddenly Jean began to sniff. "'What—what do I smell?' she asked. "'It's like—like burning oil. The cottage has a gas-fired furnace, so it couldn't be coming from anywhere in here,' said Elise. "'The wind must be carrying the odor here from some distance.' Soon everyone became drowsy and decided to retire. The next morning, as Jean and Elise finished dressing, they heard a shriek of fear just outside the front door. Elise and Jean dashed to a window and looked down. Cora Apple stood on the walk leading to the porch of the cottage. She wore a winter coat and a fur hat that was askew. A scarf tied around her neck was about to fall off, and she had dropped the handbag she was carrying. She was staring down at the pavement, a horrified expression on her face. "'Oh, I can't stand it! I just can't work here!' Cora wailed loudly. From where Louise and Jean stood, they could not see what was startling the maid. The girls rushed out into the hall and down the stairway. They were joined by Elise, who had also heard the outcry. Together the girls raced outdoors to where Cora was standing. Seeing them, she exclaimed, Look, the ghost again! Chalked on the stone walk was a strange symbolic looking set of lines and curves and crossed and crisscross. They formed a double triangle with an olive in the center. Each box section contained a number. Around the periphery were arrows some pointing towards and some away from the figures, the patches of squares like a tic-tac-toe game. To one side of the design lay a small heap of ashes, which the Dana's guess was probably from burning oil soaked rags, and paper. Perhaps this is what they had smelled last night, Louise said. Elise was gazing at the design in fascination. That's a smoke charm, she said excitedly, but it's not a threat, It's a wish for recovery from illness. This announcement calmed Cora. You mean it was put here on account of your mother's being sick? I believe so, Elise replied, but I can't imagine who left it here. Cora, feeling reassured, went on into the house, where Aunt Harriet gave her some chores. Meanwhile, the three girls continued to study the charm. In India, Elise explained, superstitious natives still believe that magicians can cure diseases and use a method similar to this one it's done with an elaborate ceremony she went on part of it consists of drawing the charm usually on the lid of a new earthen pot and its design is made with gray ashes a small vessel containing oil is placed on top of the lid and the oil is lighted while it's burning the magician touches the patient on the painful part of his body, and sings songs. Louise had been listening intently. Now, she said, if this is a friendly gesture, it seems pretty certain that Mr. Abdul didn't leave the charm. Elise, have you any Indian friends in this country who are superstitious and might have drawn this? Elise shook her head. This is complete mystery to me. If I do have any Indian friends in this country, I wish he or she would come here. He might help solve the problem of the stone tiger. Jean had been scrutinizing the ground, looking for a clue to the person who had drawn the smoke charm. Presently, she picked up a small piece of white chalk. This looks like a plain old American chalk, but it may lead us to some sort of helpful information, Louise. Right after breakfast, let's go into town and find out if anybody from India has bought chalk lately. It's a long shot, but worth trying. Her sister agreed. Within an hour, the two girls set off for the business section of Oak Falls in great anticipation. Each wondered if the trip would shed some light on the mystery. Chapter 18 Puzzle in Numbers After Louise and Jean had inquired at the shops in Oak Falls, which sold chalk, They wearily admitted that their sleuthing had been in vain. The girls turned towards the Hillary cottage, but presently Louise stopped. "'I think,' she said, "'we should let Sergeant Renly know where we're staying. And maybe he has news for us,' Jean said, hopefully." The sergeant happened to be at headquarters and was glad to see them. He praised the girls for the various reports and the evidence which they had provided. Our lab has been analyzing the black gown, the officer told them, but nothing distinctive about it has been found yet. The only thing of interest, I can tell you, is that we took the outfit to the McGregor farm to have their pet Mickey smell it. From the dog's growls and excited responses, I'd say the robe must belong to the man who borrowed him. Any news about the tiger? Louise asked. None and no word yet on Emile Gifford. We think maybe he is holed up somewhere, Sergeant Renly said. Jean told the officer about the smoke charm on the Hillary sidewalk. It was drawn with this chalk, she added, taking the piece from her pocket. Are you interested in keeping it? Smiling, she handed the chalk to him. The sergeant nodded, although he doubted it would be of much help. But as you girls well know, a good detective never turns down the smallest bit of evidence. Sergeant Rinley also emphasized his great interest in Jean's explanation of the charm. I must admit, he said, I've never heard of a smoke charm before, but you say it is meant for a good omen which doesn't fit into the picture of our suspect with all his threats and warnings. Unable to learn anything more at headquarters, Louise and Jean left. "'Let's stop at our house for the mail,' Louise suggested. Just as they unlocked the front door to their home, the telephone began to ring. Louise dashed to answer it. "'Uncle Ned!' she whispered to Jean. "'Hillary's line was busy,' he said. "'So tried to reach you here. Mystery solved yet? No? I'm talking to you from shipboard, so I must be brief. Listen carefully.' I checked with an official at the Immigration Service about recent visitors from India to our part of the state. I also learned this. A man named Rashul and a couple, Leona and Baktu Sturat, are in the country now, but there was no Mr. Abdul on the list. I must go now. Me hearties, keep well. Lots of luck. Goodbye. Louise relayed the full message to her sister, and wrote down the name Rashaul and Lona and Bagatou Surat. She ended by saying, Jean, do you think one of these two men could be posing as Mr. Abdul? Could be, her sister remarked. Let's ask Elise if her mother, if they know these people. Neither of the Hillarys had heard of the man Rashaul, but both exclaimed, in amazement upon hearing the name Surratt. Lona was my ama when I was a little girl, said Elise. That means nurse. She was a lovely person, Mrs. Hillary added. I always felt perfectly safe leaving Elise alone with her. Louise asked how recently the Hillary's had seen Lona. Oh, not for a long time, Elise's mother replied. You see, we returned to this country to live many years ago, then went back several times to India, but not where Lona was. Jean asked, Is Baktu Lona's husband? Yes, Ali said. He has been a servant of my father's friend, the Maharaja, for many years. After we came back here the first time, Lona also went to work for him. But I'm surprised to hear of the Surats being in this country. I hope they'll come to see us. I do too, Mrs. Hillary said wistfully. All this time Louise had been wondering whether the Surratts actually might be in Oak Falls. Perhaps they had left the smoke charm. Finally, she broached the subject to the Hillarys. Mrs. Hillary's eyes lightened up. Possibly, Lona and her husband were steeped in the ancient superstitions of their country. Aunt Harriet, who had been listening, but taking no part in the conversation, now spoke up. "'Virginia, you look so much better "'and seem much more like your old self. "'I believe that smoke charm has worked its magic,' they all laughed. "'Mrs. Hillary said, "'I also believe your good company has given me a real lift.' "'Louise asked Jean and Elise to go outside "'and study the smoke charm with her. "'The three girls knelt down on the front walk "'and gazed at the outline.' It contained the number 11 at the top, and then four, twenty-two, and 12. Below this, left to right, were 19 and 18. Centered under them was the number 16. At the very bottom, on the left, was 14 and 48 on the right. Suddenly, Louise bent way down and stared at the quadrangle section in the center containing the number 12. Under this had been printed faintly the name Hilary. This definitely was meant for either you or your mother, Louise exclaimed to Elise. And the forty-eight, that's a number on your house, Jean cried out. By this time, Elise's brow was furrowed as she concentrated on the puzzle. Suddenly she said, I think I have part of it. That four could stand for the fourth month, April, in which my mother was born. The nineteen, her actual birth date, and twenty to her age when she married, and eighteen is the date of my parents' wedding anniversary. Wonderful, Louise giving her friend a little hug. Now tell us what the other numbers stand for. Elise stared at these numbers for several seconds. I can't figure them out, she replied, and those other symbols don't mean a thing to me. Well, she added, getting up, I'll keep on cudgeling my brain, and if any new ideas pop up, I'll let you know. The rest of the day went by without Elise or her mother being able to figure out the odd symbols. After supper, Cora asked the girls if they would accompany her home. "'Of course,' said Louise. "'It's such a beautiful evening. Let's walk.' Elise offered to go along, so the four set off across town. The air was crisp, and everyone kept a fast pace. Cora shivered. "'Sure, glad you all came with me. It's awful dark tonight." hardly any stars. On the way back, Jean said to Louise and Elise, I have a hunch that the stone tiger chipper will be back. I'm beginning to think he didn't find what he was looking for in the museum, so he hopes it's inside the tiger. He doesn't know the statue is solid. Elise said, Louise with a chuckle, I can guess what Jean is leading up to. She's eager for us to do some more spying work, namely, see if the same fellow shows up with his chipping tools tonight. That's a marvelous idea, Elise replied. Shall we go right now? Sure. The three girls entered the Hillary grounds from Snowden Drive. They tiptoed along the darkness and took up their posts behind bushes at the front corner of the building. Listen, Louise whispered. The girls could hear muffled pounding sounds and peered cautiously around. Now they noticed that the front of the museum was in darkness. The trio wondered whether Mr. Pryor had forgotten to leave the hall light on, or whether it had been turned off by someone else. At that moment, a squad car pulled up at the curb, and two policemen jumped out, beaming flashlights ahead as they approached. "'Let's hide,' said Louise if somebody is working on that tiger, we don't want them to know we're here. The girls hastily flattened themselves on the ground behind the bushes. The policemen's flashlights did not reveal the girls or disclose anyone else as they tried the doors. If an intruder had been near the statue, he must have escaped unnoticed. Within five minutes, the policemen had driven away. Soundlessly, the girls stood up and listened. Soon afterwards they heard the same muffled noise. Jean grabbed Louise and Elise and urged them forward. Not a word was said as they silently crept towards the stone tiger. Even in the darkness they could make out a black-robed figure at work on the statue. Again Jean signaled her companions, and together they leapt to the man's side. The next instant the three girls pounced on the ghost, knocking him down.